This morning as we begin is uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. And so since uh, Bill asked you a question about uh, what time it is, it's, uh, it's grow time, I'll ask you another question I think you can answer. Who, who do you think wrote First and Second Peter? Peter, all right, you are an excellent class. Opportunities just to really uh, connect with what God has said plainly in his word. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and we're going to just launch off again in this, in this book that really is all about God's challenge for us to be hopeful no matter what. And how appropriate living in our times, particularly what's happened over the last number of weeks, and really either as an American or as just a follower of Jesus, you just scratch your head and wondering what is happening and why is God allowing certain things to happen? And when we think about that, what God allows isn't always what God approves. But one thing God does have for his people, he wants us to live out our faith in a world that is broken. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about good change. Uh, Before I do so, however, I I really want to focus on uh, just why anybody would want to even consider change. And it's all about really understanding who God is and how he's manifested himself fully as Jesus invaded history 2,000 years ago. There's a story that really uh, speaks about something that happened in the early 1900s. And this is a story that really speaks about how much we ought to be in love with Jesus if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Not only is he, is he who he claimed to be if he did what is written about and believed through the centuries, he actually did. Uh, let's look at it as I share this story. It illustrates how Christians ought to be grateful for what Christ has done for them. While a three-story scaffold at a construction site one day, a building engineer tripped and fell toward the ground in what appeared to be a fatal plummet. Right below the scaffold, a laborer looked up just as the man realized that he was standing exactly where the engineer would land. So imagine that. You're you're working, all of a sudden you hear some screams, and a man from a three-story scaffold begins plumbing to the ground, and you realize he's headed right toward you. Now, what would be your first reaction? Run, I got to get out of the way, right? That would be the only natural thing to do. But this person did something else. As he looked up, just as the man was, was coming toward him, he braced himself and absorbed the full impact of the other man's fall. This slightly engineer, the, en- the engineer who had tripped and fallen from the three-story scaffold, but it severely hurt the laborer. The collision fractured almost every single bone in his body. And then when he recovered, those injuries left him severely disabled. Uh, months after this happened, actually, actually a year after this happened, there was a reporter who came up to him and said, well, what happened in this relationship with you and that engineer who, who fell uh, upon you and you were willing to, to brace all that was being hurled on your body? And this engineer was not only one who was figuring out how to construct that building, he was also the owner of that building that was being built, and he actually owned the business that it was going to be operating through that. He said, after that event, that man never forgot what I did for him. He actually adopted me into his family. And everything that was his became mine. And no matter what I struggled through. He was always there to to show how grateful he was, 
how much he appreciated what I had done and was there to help me in any way possible. And when you think about that, that really speaks about what Jesus did for us, doesn't it? It speaks about us falling to destruction and in the midst of getting something that in one sense you could say we justly deserve. The engineer should have been a lot more careful about being on a three-story scaffold. He should have been tied in, whatever it might be. I guess it was way before OSHA. But there should have been some ways that he prevented that from happening. But that man on the ground braced everything that came upon him, not for his sake, but for the sake of the one who fell. And that's what it means to really know who Jesus is and to follow what he's done for us, is to say, in the midst of what God calls for us to be, it's all deserving what he's done for us. And so this morning, I want to look at some things we've looked at in the past, but I also want to go on to some new material as we think about God wants us, as we begin this new year, to make some changes. But as we think about the changes God wants to make in our lives, these are good changes, and some of the changes, uh, they, they seem so obvious, and then some of us, they seem so, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to I make that change. But I want to submit to you that every change that God wants us to make in our lives, individually or corporately, is a good change. It, it's a change for the better, uh, but we've got to be committed, and we need to realize uh, why we ought to make those changes. So I want to answer basically two questions this morning. I want to answer how to make good changes, and then, simp- and then secondly, what are some good changes? And we're going to look at this verse I've been trying to pound into you as we begin this year. It's, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And if you think about that passage, it really has a, a larger challenge for our lives. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But as you think about that, and I really think that answers the question, well, how, how can you make good changes? It really kind of dovetails with that story I began the message with. It's, it's realizing who God is and what he's done and what he wants to continue to do in our lives. Or to put it this way, making a kind of a four-point outline, it, it really just says, take, take these phrases, and if you want to summarize one of the lines, it's, it begins with therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is to remember what God has done for you. We're at verse 13 and, and, and the first chapter of this little letter written by Peter, which is called First Peter, really begins this, this letter into our lives just recounting all that God has done for us. In the midst of knowing all that God has done for us, we're, we're just motivated to, to live for him who, who has done immensely beyond what we could imagine. And so as we think about making changes, why should we make changes? Because what God has done for us. But then as we think about that, rather than just being something that uh, sounds like a a nice thing to do or have good intentions, God God is very specific what he wants us to to start off to do. And that's prepare your minds for action. And and we've already talked about that. As we think about that, it it just focuses on our lives saying, uh, what what are you ready to do? Are you going to be passive in your walk with Jesus, or or are you going to be active in your walk with Jesus? Are you looking at God, what what is it you want me to do next? And really, that's just a hard attitude and a a spiritual attitude when you begin each day. God, what is it you have for me today? What what are some of the priorities you want me to live out? What are some of the people you want me to touch? What, what, What are some things that you want to do through me where I represent you well? 
Throughout the scripture, the Bible talks about us that we're followers of Jesus. We're followers of the way. We are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And so as we think about it, because of the therefore, all that he's done for us, we recognize all that he wants to do through us. But then he goes on and says, keep sober in spirit. And when we think about that, it really talks about what he is able to do in us or in you. And let's be honest, that sometimes as you look at people who claim to be followers of Jesus, you ask yourself the question, well, are you really a follower of Jesus? Because you seem more out of control than in control. And there was no more sad thing to watch some of the things that happened at the Capitol on January 6th than some of them waving Christian banners and crosses and singing hymns and doing everything exactly opposite to what a Christian follower of Jesus would actually do. And so we need to realize that one of the real, really qualities that, that speaks about a follower of Jesus is that's a person who is in control, not out of control. When you talk about someone who is not sober, he's intoxicated or she's intoxicated, driving under the influences that changes everything about them. And so as we think about God wanting us to make good changes, he said, I want you to be, be sober in, in spirit. I want my spirit to be doing that which I can do in you so that you're in control rather than out of control, that people can see Jesus in you and, and how you live. And then if you take that last phrase very simply, you could say this, is we, we want to understand that God's grace is that, is that which we fix our hope completely on. Fix your hope completely on grace. And so as we, as we live out our lives, it's, it's not what we do, what God does through us. And how does that happen? Because God's grace lives within us. Is that what brings us into the family of God, and that's what empowers to live out what it means to be part of the family of God. Fix your hope completely on God's grace. And, and what he does to you in the midst of a, a world that, that takes away your hope, where you at times just feel hopeless, and what's next is that he gives you hope. Because we, we don't know if the score is going to be in this part of the game, but at the end of the game, we what? We win. Because God gives us past grace, present grace, and future grace. So in the midst of a, a world of times where we become hopeless, he gives us hope. And, and hopefully, 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 I'm using that word here, hopefully we're all getting that. What, what has God done for us? What does God want to do through us? What is God doing in us? And what will God give to us as we fix our hope completely on the grace that he flows through the life of a follower of Jesus? But then Peter goes on and says, hey, I've got some very specific changes that, that, that God wants to see happen in his followers. And this is where we pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 14. And in, in 1 Peter 1, 14, he, he begins this way, and we, we've looked at this briefly in the past. But in verse 14, he says this, as obedient children. So if you were just to summarize, and basically I hope you can see this in the text, the Bible that you're looking at, is as we, as we recognize that He wants us to know what he's done for us, what he wants to do through us, what he wants to do in us, and what what he accomplishes to us as we fix our hope on him. He says, now I want you to be obedient. I I, I want you to be like a child that realizes that their parent knows more than they do, or whoever is 
watching over them in any moment. And, and as they live life, the, their first response is, when, when I'm told what to do, I should what? Do it, right? And as we think about that, each day as we think about what does it mean to live by faith is, is take what God has told us to do and then to the best of our ability through his grace, do it as obedient children. Yesterday I was at a, a three-year-old birthday party. It was my uh, grandson, Jack, who was up in Lake Arrowhead and, and uh, there was children there and they were running around doing all kinds of crazy things and, and for a while it was my responsibility to watch them. You know, usually you get that, those parties together, particularly they're outside and after a while the Everyone, the, the adults are doing their thing and no one's watching the kids. Have you ever been in places like that? You know, and so you're wondering what's going on. And so I was supposed to watch the children, particularly I was supposed to watch Jack. And uh, Jack is, uh, he is all boy at age three. He, he's never saw anything that he doesn't think he can climb. And not only has he never seen anything he doesn't think he can climb, there's nothing he sees that after he climbs it, he can't jump off of it, all right? So he's climbing these rocks and stuff like that. And I'm with him and all of a sudden he climbs this one rock, which is, uh, overhead high for him, but he gets up it, and then he says, Papa, watch me jump off of it. What? You don't have to shake your head. I let him do it. Okay, so anyway, so th- it was a rock that I thought he could do, and so he jumps off, and he, he, he survives, you know. I looked around first to see if the parents were watching, but they weren't, so I just said, okay. So he jumped off, and he did fine. But then what happened is that he was watching other kids play. You ever seen that happen? And so then there was this one... Uh, uh, child that was twice his age, over twice his age, age seven, got on a taller rock, okay? Now, Jack was convinced he could climb up that taller rock, which he was able to achieve, but now he was ready to jump off that rock. And the problem with that rock, not only was it twice as high as the initial rock he was jumping off, but it was not only would have to jump off, he would have to jump out to make sure you didn't hit the other part of the rock. So at this point, I had to tell him what to do. You can't jump that. And, and then, of course, he, he wants to... Uh, you've never had this happen, a three-year-old try to argue with you? Okay. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it, Papa. I can do it. You probably can, but you're not going to do it, all right? <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, with my brilliant mind, persuaded him as far as why he should not jump off it. You know, that's a seven-year-old. You're a three-year-old. That is a farther jump than you imagine. You could get hurt. Uh, and I don't want to get in trouble, all right? So, so... Uh, but, you know, as I was, you know, when he was in my presence, he knows physically I can keep him from jumping. But, uh, you know, I spent enough time with him. The test was, when it wasn't my turn to watch Jack, what would he do when he reclimbed that rock? Isn't that true? No, he listened to his papa. Okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That, that's, the, that's the test, isn't it? it? Is when we think about following Jesus, it, it's, it's one thing to do it when everybody else is watching, or people that you want to impress, or whatever it might be. It's when, when people aren't watching, when, when people aren't seeing what you're doing or not doing. Have you come to that point where you're saying, no, I, I, I was told by someone maybe a little older, maybe just a little wiser than me, that, that I should do this or should not do this. And when we think about walking the Christian life, it's, it's recognizing that our Heavenly Father knows best, Right? That Jesus knows what, what is good and what's not good. And as obedient children, you know, we never really get out of the, the childlike walk with God if we're really following Jesus. And we need to recognize that it's pretty simple what the Christian life is, is take what Jesus tells us to do and, and then do it. 
And I share you the word that the word for obedient in the Greek language comes from a word from what we get akuo. It's, it's intensified up hufo akuo, which means really listen to God. That's, that's the changes God wants us to make. And so as we go into the new year, I guess we could just ask ourselves the question, are, are we listening to God? Are we doing what God tells us? Are we being obedient to him? But then Peter goes on, and he, he actually amplifies what it means to be obedient. But, but I think we can separate it as, as another line for us to consider about well, what are some changes God wants me to make. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now, that's pretty heavy language, but if you were to put it very simply, you could put it this way. Uh, what are some things God wants me to change is it don't just do what I feel like doing. Or to put it where I extend it to you, don't just do what you feel like. But, but isn't, isn't this really where most of us struggle? I, I, I do or don't do something basically most of the time based on whether I feel like it at the, at the moment. Isn't that true? It's, well, you know, you know why, why did, I hate to say this about most of our population, but most of our population, when you, when you examine, you know, why they voted a certain way, they, they felt like at that moment. They were persuaded by some kind of an emotional argument. And I don't care which side, which side right now you voted on, but many people voted emotionally rather than considering all the issues that people ought to think about when they, they voted. And when you go beyond that, let's just get where we all live. And, and uh, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and I read all the notes. I was up at a birthday party, as I mentioned. And I, and I was looking at that, and one of the, as Warren, one of our elders, was teaching in, in his notes, he said, you know, men, you, you, the Scripture is very plain in Ephesians chapter 5. You, we are called to nourish and cherish our wives. We are, we are love them like Christ loved the church. We are to serve them. And you get really practical. We, that means sometimes you need to really listen to them. You need to be willing to kind of share what's going on in your life. You need to talk with them. You need to be willing to do things for them. But, but you know, man, why, why at times do we not live that way? Because at any moment in time, we simply don't feel like it, right? And really in a broader way, he was saying to there, because they had a much more... Uh, struggle with changing their lifestyle. He said, look, don't be conformed, which really is a word means to be fashioned or pressed into a mold. Don't describe who you are basically because of, of your lust. And the word lust really has the idea of passion. It's often used in a negative sense. But anything that just controls you by your own desires, don't simply do what you feel like. Do what God wants you to do and to be. And then, of course, that works with both genders, and it works within the home, doesn't it? There, you know, why do wives not always respect their husbands? Because they do so many things that are not respectful, you know. But, but really, the issue here is that God has called us to be and to do what God wants us to do and to be, independent of what we feel like at the moment, or independent of the response of the other, other people to us. that make sense? So, so, so Peter's just pleading with it. Listen to God, be obedient. And part of that is that just don't be controlled by your old life, the things you used to be involved in, that you enjoy doing. It's all right to enjoy doing things, but when they're not good for you, you need to make changes. Don't let that mold who you are. Don't do simply what you feel like doing. And then he gets really religious in his language. He goes on and says this, "Oh, Oh, by the way, but like the Holy One who called you, and who's the Holy One who called us? 
God. He said, Behold yourself also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter pulls out the God card here. He said, oh, okay, if you want, me, you want me to really get clear here, if you want to have an all-inclusive statement, you are to live a holy life. That, that's, that's the good change. You know, for a small group, you can say, do everybody here, you feel like you're as holy as you should be? And you think, what do you mean by that? Well, let's put it this way, because I am, be holy like I am holy. Does everyone here feel like they, they live like Jesus? Well, not quite, all right? Well, that's the goal. That's the challenge. That's the measuring stick. I want to be more like Jesus. Often when people look at holy, and there's reasons why we expand our understanding of that. It has the idea of being set apart. has the old idea of being sanctified. It has the old idea of being morally pure and living a life where you're not embracing sin but running from sin. But to put it simply, to be holy is to live like Jesus. And what does it mean to live like Jesus? Well, read the Gospels and you'll find out what it means to live like Jesus. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Beatitudes. Read Paul's commentary of Jesus' life in Philippians chapter 2. Understand that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Understand that God wants us to be a people that aren't self-absorbed, but are looking at others as more important than, than themselves. And, and so as we think about w- w- what are the changes, the good changes that God wants us to, to live individually and corporately, he wants us to be obedient children. He wants us to listen to God. He wants us to, to recognize that we don't just simply do things because we feel like it or that's the way we've always done it. He doesn't want us to live lives in which we're living like everybody else, but living like Jesus. And there used to be that little bracelet with people on, what would Jesus do? Well, you can look at some things that have happened over the last number of months in our country, and even in churches. And you have to ask yourself a question, is that what Jesus would have done? And so we need to look like Jesus in a world that's broken. But then he goes on, and, and now we're looking at some things we haven't touched. He said, submit yourselves, verse, no, excuse me, I don't know, I missed a chapter here. He, he goes on, and, and then in verse 17, he says this, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And hopefully when you read scripture, you kind of look at yourself and am I in this passage? Well, any of us here on earth right now? Okay, so we're staying here on earth, right? And he says a couple things here. He says, I want you to understand as you live while you have your stay on earth before you get to heaven, beam me up, Scotty, or beam me up, Jesus, okay? Uh, that you're here and, and why you're here and why I'm here, I need to realize, and here's where it gets a little heavier, is I need to recognize that, that God is my judge, and he's talking to believers here. So there is, a, there is a couple different judgments in the Bible. There's a judgment for those who don't know Jesus. But there's a judgment for those who do know Jesus. And, and he says, oh, as you're here, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay. And, and when I look at 
scripture, I just kind of try to get simple truths out of it. That what are some changes God wants to make in my life in 2020? And, and some, of the things, some of these things are maybe first steps or they could be this continual steps or more steps. God wants me to live with a healthy fear of God. Some of you have heard some of the verses in Proverbs. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you think you know anything or you think you know how to apply whatever you do know, it begins with a what of God? Fear of God. So you're still listening. I'm so excited, right? You know, it begins with a fear of God. And there is the aspect of reverence, yes. It's seeing God as the exalted one. But there is a fear which is related to even that passage talking about of understanding that he's the one who's going to judge me. That's more, that, that, that kind of raises that, that level of urgency and importance, doesn't it? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that when our life is finished and we stand before the living God, and he's talking about believers here, you know, our, our, our lives are going to be measured. And some of the things we do in life, and you're going to look at it and say, well, that, that, that really that really didn't honor God at all. It's just kind of wood, hay, and stubble. There'll be a light uh, match lit and it'll all be consumed. But there are other things that'll be gold, silver, and precious stones and, and, and that will be to God's honor. And, and I, guess, I guess what I would say is w- when we make decisions as people individually and collectively, uh, are we doing it with a healthy fear of God? And, and no matter how you illustrate things, sometimes you wonder, are, are you understanding what I'm illustrating and putting it in context. But, but there, are a lot of, there are a lot of followers of Jesus who are more fear of COVID than they are of Jesus. And, and I'm not meaning whether they decide to say to be in person in a worship service or be online. But I mean is how high a priority is it to not miss what is spiritually essential for them? You know, take life groups. You can, you can be involved in a life group perfectly safe from COVID by going online. Or you can decide that I feel that it's a, a safe environment. I, you know, spatially distanced, and the groups could have masks, and you could, be, you could be safe physically by being in person. But what happens in a life in which everything has changed, people can easily, you know, just get out of the habit, Right? They aren't meeting with God's people, either online or in person. And it becomes comfortable unless you have a fear of God, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, I think it's verse 5, says, Oh, by the way, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord. And most of the time we're thinking, <laughs> I haven't, God hasn't disciplined me recently, or at least I haven't noticed it was him disciplining me, so I can kind of get away with anything, even though you might not think about getting away, but you're just kind of going on your own way, and you don't realize that we're all accountable to God, how how we use our time, what we do with it. And and is he really the one we seek first, or is he the one we, you know, if we have extra time, we give it to him? And, And we're talking about just embracing Jesus and all we do, but intentionally saying, well, what am I doing that's allowing me to, to put God first, to be with God's people, 
And to listen to God, God says, let us not forsake the assembling together as the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And again, I'm not talking about people who have physical restrictions or some other issues. Some people don't have computers, so they can't go online. I mean, there are some reasons why people can't do it. But, but of all, it is so easy to allow other things to, to somehow prevent us from doing the obvious things that are in God's word, to reaching out to people in need, to, to making a phone call to someone that needs to, to be encouraged, to sharing our faith with someone that doesn't really know the Lord or or spending time personally in God's word or, or, or praying, then, then we're not really living under the fear of God. Because basically we feel that we, we can kind of do whatever we want. It doesn't really matter that much. Does that make sense? I mean, this thing, he, he is going to be our judge. And while we have our stay here, and right now that applies to all of us that live in fear of the living God. But then he goes on and I need to get to this quickly. He, he continues to, to just exhort them because of all that God has done for them, because of what God wants to do through us, because of what God uh, is able to do in us and what God has already done to us, giving us his hope. He, he goes on, verse 18, says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, that longer passage I just read is just really the, old, the entire Old Testament. Okay, and so I'm not gonna teach the entire Old Testament right now, but basically saying, look at how have you gotten to where you are right now? What did God have to do to, to get you? you? You were redeemed, which really has the idea of you were a slave and you were purchased out of your slavery. And when you think about it, how do you decide how much something is worth or what value they might have? You know, how do you know that? Who decides that? I just heard this past week that there was a new record for baseball cards, and uh, there was a Mickey Mantle rookie card that just sold, and it sold for over $5 million. Now, I was a baseball-aholic growing up, all right? Uh, but if I had $5 million, I would not spend it on a Mickey Mantle rookie card. But it has that value to someone, doesn't it? How do we know it's not just thrown out there? Because someone what? They paid for it that way. And really what he's saying here simply, and this is why all the Old Testament animal sacrifices were in the Old Testament, to picture about what, what the, 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 the Lamb of God, Jesus, would do for us. We were redeemed. We were purchased out of our slavery to sin, our, our, our distance from the living, holy God by the precious blood of Jesus. It doesn't get any more expensive than that. And so when we go through times, and, and of course, this is one of the challenges, is that as we, as we are faced with the challenges of making good changes, sometimes we, we want to just give up. All I do is fail, so why even try? And he said, look at, know your value. Know how important you are to God. You were, you were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. 
One writer I read this past week said, you know, as you think about the, the miracle of creation compared to the miracle of redemption, and redemption is that buying us into the family of God. The miracle of redemption costs a lot more than the miracle of creation. He created everything with a word. But Jesus had to die for us to bring us back. So as we think of all these things, God wants us to be obedient, listen to God. He wants us not do just what we feel like. He wants us to be holy, live like Jesus, have a healthy fear of God, know our value. And then I want to finish with this last passage here in verse 22. Since you have been in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. The rest of that passage, and I won't read it, talks about we are redeemed, we are, we are drawn into the living God by the, the unbelievable truth and value of the word of God. But I want you to focus on that simple phrase there. Fervently love one another from the heart. And, and again, as you think about it, th- these these are changes God is, through the Spirit, giving Peter to tell us and to tell the people who read it for the first time, oh, I want you to know God has an agenda for us. He, he wants us to love one another. And he said, well, I've heard that before. But then he adds a, a modifying term. I want you to fervently love one another. Okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, the word fervent really has the idea of, of of stretching, it was used for, for someone so involved in a task that they were stretching the power of their muscles to the very length, extension that could be physically done to the point of exhaustion. So as we think about God's plan for God's people is that we are to recognize that, that at times when we... Uh, we don't want to invest our lives in other people. God said, look, I want you to understand. God has fervently loved you. He has stretched out his arms to demonstrate his love for you on the cross. And I want to stretch your life out to others, to the place where people can see, oh, how they love one another. Jesus said in John 13, I'll be in your study this week, uh, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. He, even as I love you, and oh, by the way, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. And, and so we need to learn to like one another, and we need to be able to learn to put up with one another, and then we need to go even further and say we need to learn to love one another. Extend ourselves to be all that we can not for our own sake, but for their sake and for the sake of Christ. So what's the point this morning? Do you want to change? Do we want to change? Do I want to change? Do I want to progressively become more like Jesus so that Jesus can be seen in us? I, I, I close with this. I had some other things I was going to share, but... I was asking a small group I was leading this, uh, this past week, and I said, how many of you like change? You know, and there, I don't know how many people there were in the group that, that day. There was people online and in person. And, how many of you like to change? You know how many hands went up? None. <laughs> None went up. Until one of the people in the group said, well, yeah, I, I, I like change if I know that change is 
for the better. Or to put in the message of this morning, I'm willing to change if it's a good change. And I just want to announce to all of us that when God asks us to change, it's always a good change. Let's pray. Father, we know that the biggest change happens when we surrender our lives to Jesus. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. The old things pass, behold, new things have come. And when we come to Jesus, it's simply admitting our need and turning from our sin. It's believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God in the flesh and one who rose from the dead. And it's then surrendering our lives by committing ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that can be done by simply telling that to Jesus. I, I want to know you. Come into my life and forgive me my sins. I want to follow you completely. But as we know you, then it's the challenge of, of living the adventure of being fully in with living for you. And at times it's not going to feel good, but it's always good because your way is always best. Help us to follow you completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.